You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. everyone. We're going to go ahead and get started now. Thank you all for coming to this afternoon's program, the Business of Publishing program. My name is Jasmine Shoemaker. I'm the business librarian of the Enoch Pratt Free Library's Business Science Technology Department. Hi, I'm Deborah Robertson. I'm a part of the Humanities Department at Kislerk. And to my left, we have Mr. Greg Wilhelm, who is the co-founder of Woodholm Publishers founder of the nonprofit literary arts organization City Lit Project, and he launched the City Lit, City Lit Press imprint. Then we have Christine Stewart, editor-in-chief of Del Sol Press, recipient of an Individual Artist Award in fiction from the Maryland State Arts Council and writing teacher in the Johns Hopkins Odyssey program. Then we have Sarah Pinsker, winner of the 2016 Nebula Award for her novelette, our Lady of the Open Road. Next is Mr. Kenneth Rogers Jr., author of seven books, including Thoughts in Italics and Raped Black Male. And finally, Mr. Ben Anderson, self-published author of The McGonagall Chronicles. All right, so this is gonna be a panel and a Q&A. I'm gonna give some tips and tricks on how to become a published author or how to self-publish. And um, just so you know, you can take notes Get ready, guys. You're going to have some fun. Information freely given from our wonderful guests. Okay, and without further ado, we're just going to go ahead and get started with our first question, which is, what drew you guys to the publishing world? Hey, good morning. Good afternoon. How's everybody doing? Um, so, what drew me to the publishing world was I needed a job. Um, I came back, I did some graduate study at Duke and ran a money down in Durham and came back home to Baltimore and uh, got this job for Johns Hopkins University Press, which at the time, I thought, uh, printed the newspaper, the campus newspaper. Um, it's not the kind of press that it, it was or is. Um, so I walk into the door and I realize it's a book publishing imprint. It's the book publishing, the academic book publishing arm of Johns Hopkins University, the institution. Um, and I was fortunate enough to um, uh, be assigned to two editors in what's called the acquisitions department. And that's an important part of the publishing world for you all to know about. It's These are the editors who um, are on the front lines between the publishing house and um, you, the writer. So they're the ones who look uh, out for content that's appropriate for uh, their publishing house in general, their lists in particular. Uh, and I was assigned to someone who did history and regionalia, things about the Chesapeake, and uh, another man who, uh, another editor who oversaw the lists in, um, in the social sciences. Uh, and they were, uh, so I was essentially their assistant. And some of the other assistants weren't as fortunate as I was to be assigned to those two editors. They really trained me. And the cool thing that I fell in love with about acquisitions is that uh, I'm actually not the best copy editor in the world. Um, I, I, I can struggle through it and do a good job. But, um, so it wasn't the job of sitting there and editing each line of a manuscript, it was um, making decisions, talking to authors, um, being pitched with proposals, 
but knowing enough about marketing to see if, uh, if the proposal or if the project could be marketed well, and know enough about design to see if a project could be uh, produced efficiently and effectively and economically. So it's the, it's the whole gamut. The, the editors and acquisitions have to think about the entire publishing process to be able to render a decision. And I just absolutely fell in love with that. Um, and I've been in the business for 25 years now. Hi, everyone. Um, I came to it a bit circuitously. I think I went through every stage prior to, I am now editor-in-chief with Del Sol Press, which is based in DC. Um, I got my MFA, I'm a writer myself, and then I went into teaching, and then I went into manuscript editing. I've been doing that for almost 30 years. And then I switched my teaching from more craft, which I still do sometimes, but now I'm moving more toward publishing classes like uh, how to write your pitch and working with writers on their synopsis and all the little things you need to have, like a book proposal or a chapter-by-chapter -chapter outline, all that paperwork that you need to pull yourself together to get ready for pitching and, and sending out your query letters and going to conferences in New York and... There I met um, the editor um, or the publisher of Del Sol Press who runs these great national conferences, that, um, they're the Algonquian conferences, if you want to look them up. Um, they have them in um, Monterey, Florida, in Florida, in St. Augustine, in um, Virginia, that's the one I participate in the most, that's um, in Algonquian Park itself and in New York. And from there, he said, why don't you take over the press that I have? Because he was between editors, and I was complaining a lot that there's very little for a first-time novelist in terms of publishing opportunities. If you've published a book already, then you can submit to dozens of prizes. But if you haven't, there are not that many opportunities. So I wanted to start a first novel prize, which is what I did at Del Sol. And we're going to, we just finished our second year, and we've gotten hundreds of um, submissions, and there are all different kinds of books, and it's wonderful, and it's giving us a chance to publish people that wouldn't otherwise be published. And there are a ton of opportunities for writers. You all have so many different ways you can publish things. You can publish things online, you can do ebooks, you can self publish, you can do small presses, competitions, you can do traditional. Traditional is the hardest and it's getting harder and harder. So I wanted to add to this round of small presses that we're offering good opportunities. Hi there. So I'm a writer and not an editor or publisher. So, so if the question is what drew me to the publishing world, it's love of writing uh, and the knowledge that I was telling stories that I wanted to be out in the world uh, that I thought were worth telling. Um, I did take uh, a more traditional route. Um, I, going, I have about 50 short stories published, and, and um, so I've had short stories published in uh, lots of different magazines, and, and I've got a collection coming uh, from a press, and I've got a, a novel that's going to be submitted by my agent. So it's a whole uh, traditional, that, that's what the traditional route is. Um, but with the basic question, what drew you to the publishing world? If you're here because you're a writer, then I hope the answer is because you love writing or because you love having written or because you have a story worth telling. Because I think those are, those are good reasons and things that will keep you going uh, as you move into the business side of the publishing world, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, I guess what pretty much drew me is 
pretty much the same thing uh, as Sarah said, is pretty much uh, love of writing, but also trying to make sure my books get into the hands of readers. Um, not going through traditional publishers, you have to find a way to actually get what you've written into the hands of individuals that actually like your writing, and uh, understanding the publishing world is the best way to do it. Not relying on someone else, but getting as much information as you can in order to make the best decisions you can in order to pretty much uh, become not a best-selling author, but an author who has people that read their material and enjoy it. Um, so, that's what Well, for me, it was a little different. When my children were little, I began to tell them bedtime stories. First. And uh, every night I'd tell them a little bit more, and the story began to stretch out longer and longer and longer until it became like a year-long bedtime story. <laughs> and uh, so my wife said, you know, you should write that down one day. And so I started to do that and then began to slowly explore this idea of publishing. And it's turned into three novels so far, and I'm working on them before. So completely self-published, and I, I went through Amazon's Create Space, very easy process. The, the hardest part, I think, of getting into, it's not getting it published, actually, if you're self-published. You, Amazon will print anything you want, but <laughs> it can be really bad. So the hardest part is really getting it edited and refining the manuscript. And so but that's how kind of I got into the, uh, the self-publishing world, is just from telling stories writing them down. All right, so we, just so you notice on this, each slide, there, not every slide, but some of the slides are gonna have books on them. All of these books are available at Pratt um, at different locations. You can place holes on them or you can come directly to um, a branch. Um, we have a list over here by the door. If you didn't sign in at the beginning, you can always sign in at the end. Just place your email and we can send you the list. So, the next question is, what are the top mistakes new writers make? Can we start with Ben and work our way back? <laughs> okay. uh, sure. So, probably the, the biggest mistake that new writers make is they push things out too soon, I think. It's easy to have a great idea, many people have great ideas, and they want to get it out there, and you don't realize how hard it is to really put a good manuscript out there. The idea may be great, but if you push it too soon and you just if you self-publish or submit it to a publisher and they look at it and it's not really ready, then it's gonna kind of crash and burn. So I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that new writers make is they got, they're so anxious to get something out there in the marketplace because it's a great idea and their family loves it and they, everybody tells them they should publish but the manuscript needs to be polished. So don't rush, get it ready. Get, get lots of input, get critique on your manuscript first. Um, probably the biggest mistake is thinking that they're gonna be the next J.K. Rowling. Uh, so I wrote this book and I'm going to now quit my job and become a multimillionaire. Probably not gonna happen. Um, there are lots of books that are published every year. When I say lots, I mean lots. Uh, they, they have the idea, the belief that what, what they've written uh, is immediately going to end up in the hands of, of readers. 
and they're just gonna magically find their book. Um, the biggest mistake is not knowing the marketing side. Uh, they, they've written a fantastic story and, and it's great, but trying to make sure that story gets into the hands of, of readers is, is pretty important. So biggest mistake is just, just thinking, I, I, I've written the book and now I'm done. You're not done, that's just the beginning part. I'm just gonna alter. We'll share you. Thanks. I'm gonna pick up on one thing Ben said, which was about uh, getting critique. Uh, I think a lot of new writers uh, may feel that if they show their work to someone, that person will steal it, um, which is which is far from the truth. Like you, you can't. No one's gonna steal your work. No one's gonna steal your idea. Your voice is utterly your own. Um, Critique is such a valuable thing, uh, especially, especially at the beginning, where, where there are blind spots that you may have um, that other people can, uh, can hone in on and help you improve your craft. And also, in critiquing others, you learn a ton about writing. Um, I, I've found that, that being the person who does the critique often teaches me as much as what people have to say about my work. So if you find people who you trust to exchange work with, um, then that's a great thing. Uh, the other thing that I was going to suggest uh, is if you're someone who's writing, and, and I'm guessing from the fact that you're here that you probably also want to submit your work and get it published or, or self-published, but um, if you're submitting it, uh, rejections don't mean that you should put it away forever. Uh, rejections don't mean that you're a terrible writer. Um, and I think that some new writers take those rejections, especially early on, very personally. Um, so, so there are all kinds of techniques you can use, like like turning rejections into a game, um, buying yourself an ice cream after you've gotten ten, buying yourself a, a dinner after <laughs> fifty. You know, like, like you can make an. Uh, and I have friends who even do a thing where where they have a contest with each other for the most rejections, because if you get any rejections, it means you're sending your work out there, and and that that is always a good thing. It's 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 tough, and you do have to build a bit of a thick skin. But rejections do not mean your work isn't worth getting out there in some way. So I have a mix of what everyone said, and um, and that is um, the thing that writers really need to have is persistence, like Sarah was saying. And another thing, and this sort of built on what um, Ben and Kenny have been saying, that it's a practice. It's called a writing practice. And as a freelance editor, I see people all the time who do this thing. They write me these long emails about wanting to work with me and I'm going to do this and it's going to be an income stream and I'm going to, you've lost me an income stream because <laughs> that does not happen. And I'm trying to be encouraging, um, but at the same time as an editor and as all of us here, I'm sure we're, we're trying to tell it to you straight, not to discourage you, but to keep you from losing your mind, heads in the clouds and keep your feet on the ground. Um, it's, it's practice and I think writing is one of the only one of the few, because I know photographers probably experience this too in acting, where people think, I just dive right into excellence without any practice whatsoever. And, um, but writing does require practice, it's a craft, so you should be taking classes, you should be reading and reading and reading and reading, and then reading more. Um, you should be going to conferences and talking to other people. Mostly what I'm talking about is like info gathering, resource information, and then maybe start writing. I mean, play around, of course, but before you get super serious and get so invested in something that if it starts to go wrong, you're so disheartened you can't keep going, 
you need to have um, the information behind you, the resources behind you, the hopefully a friendly group of writers as critique partners, like Sarah's saying, who can support you through those tough times. Um, but then definitely get an editor. It's I see a ton of um, articles about how you really need a book designer to make a great, you can put whatever cover you want on that thing. And if it's not good, Amazon reviews will kill you. And you will not get that se next series, next book in your series if you self-publish or whatever. Um, you have to write a good book, and that takes a lot of time and effort. And um, I'm not going to lie, editors can be expensive, but there are a lot of Twitter competitions. Um, I know a group of editors that are doing a, Twitch, a Twitter pitch competition, or excuse me, rather just a Twitter competition called Revise and Resub. And I have a handout on the table with a bunch of these Twitter competitions if you want to pick those up. And that's on there. And you can win uh, a revision, uh, an editing by an editor for free. And there are a lot of those that have that editing component, and you can win that. So you can get that done for free. But definitely, before you worry about book covers, and you know, before you worry about the wedding, think about the marriage, yeah. right? So don't plan the wedding reception and the wedding and the dress and all that. Think about the marriage. <laughs> so think long term, and editing is definitely part of that process. And also be ready for that, because it's, if you don't have a thick skin, don't hire an editor, because you're gonna hear stuff you don't wanna hear and you have to be ready. We're nice, but we're direct. <laughs> so I, I wear two primary hats. I just told you I've been in the book publishing business for 25 years, but when I founded City Lit Project, a nonprofit, in 2004, I really I, I became a literary arts administrator. Uh, and as a side note, I did a lot of my education about uh, nonprofits and nonprofit management through uh, the free uh, workshops uh, delivered by the Pratt Library, offered by the Pratt Library. Um, so I think uh, what we've all been uh, uh, talking about and, and dancing around the, the following word is community. Um, join a community, and everybody sitting in this room, by your very presence, has done the first right thing, or the first big thing I think writers do as a mistake, is they don't join a community. Um, and whether you're, uh, I, so I develop audiences, and there's audiences, and whether that audience is an audience of book buyers for the authors I publish, or an audience of the public who attend the festivals that we uh, coordinate, curate, and present. Um, it's all about community building. And I can't tell you how many times that I've been approached uh, by a writer uh, with his or her brand new book tucked under his or her arm saying, can I read at the next City Lit Festival? And I'm like, I don't know who you are. You haven't been part of this community. You can't expect the community to support you and your new book if you haven't shown that love to the community uh, previously. So by being here, you're part of the community. You're also educating yourself and you're learning about the resources at the Pratt. So you're already leaps and, and bounds ahead of other aspiring writers. Aw, thanks for that shout out, Greg. I really appreciate that. Kind of piggybacking on what you said about community building, um, taking advantage of resources and things like that, our next question is, how else would you build relationships in this publishing world as both a publisher, publisher and a writer? <laughs> okay, every iteration. Yeah, yeah, everyone starts once. All right, so, um, so one thing I'll start with is uh, 
If you're a science fiction or fantasy writer, the Baltimore Science Fiction Society has a building um, over on Eastern Ave there in Highland Town, and there's a, a, a free open critique group that meets there every, uh, every other Thursday night. Um, and, and that was my introduction to, uh, communi to writing community in Baltimore. I, I also took a class from Jen Mikalski uh, several years ago and found a critique group through that, so I had these two critique groups going. Um, so taking a class sometimes leads you to people. Uh, and you maintain those relationships. Um, in science fiction and fantasy, there's also this rich tradition of, um, uh, of conventions and, and going and, and being a part of those. And uh, I've, I've found the most wonderful community, I have to say. And some of it is in Baltimore, um, through, through the science fiction writers I know here. And there's a reading series at Bird in Hand now, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. Um, and some of it, uh, um, some of it is, is larger scale. Um, and it all, it does take showing up, and you don't necessarily even, um, even need to pay to go to things necessarily. Um, you can, you can hang out in the bar or the lobby and meet people at the conventions. Um, you can offer to buy a coffee or a beer for, um, for writers or editors or agents, and they're all there, and, and if they're having a one-on-one, -on -one uh, uh, conversation, don't approach, but if there's a group of people, there's actually an opportunity, um, that, that I don't know the lit world as much, but in, in science fiction and fantasy, there's this open giving back that, that I find uh, tremendous. Uh, and the one other thing I'll add is the, the World Fantasy Convention is actually gonna be in Baltimore this coming November, so a year from now, the, I think the first or fourth of November. And, uh, and that, uh, that is what, like all the all the agents and editors from New York come down for that. Like it, it travels around the the world, and it's going to be in Baltimore this coming year. And that's the place where where you can definitely make those connections um, and get a chance to just chat. And if you don't bring up your book, you bring up stuff. You find your community. Is that the World Fantasy Convention is going to be. Uh, yeah. If you look up uh, w, WFC 2017 Baltimore, you'll get it. But it's just scientific, or science That one is science fiction, fantasy, uh, slipstream, the stuff that falls in between. Uh, Carmen Maria Machado, who just uh, was nominated for a National Book Award. Uh, I'm not saying she's going to be there, I'm just saying. Like, like she falls into that in between and sometimes shows up for these things. Uh, Kelly Link, who, who's um, uh, all over every award. So, so there's a lot of people who fall into the in between. If you think that your work falls at all in there, then you do well. <laughs> I would definitely agree with, with Sarah. Um, I, <clears throat> I have a wide gamut of lots of different books that I've written. Uh, so I go to sci-fi conventions and uh, Comic-Cons and I go to book festivals um, and I talk to lots of different people. I uh, see what works for them, what didn't work. I get information from just simple conversations because these individuals, they know something that I don't and I, I take whatever they're willing to give. They are not out there to steal an idea as, as people think or uh, trying to best me in a cell. No, they, they, they definitely help me uh, either with uh, a display or um, another book festival or another sci-fi convention that I just got an idea for. 
Uh, and everyone's extremely helpful. So uh, still being open, talking to those individuals, mm -hmm. and being willing to, to take their advice and, and use it uh, and, and apply it to your own craft. Yeah, what they said. Uh, I absolutely agree. Just you meet so many people at these conventions, sci-fi, fantasy conventions. I do. Yeah, we we met at, at one of these. Um, there's some coming up this year. There's Farpoint. There's Shore Leave. There are all kinds of things here in the Baltimore area you can go to that uh, are great places to network. And networking is a real key to your success. And there are. Of course, online things as well you can do. There's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's all the, the traditional stuff. But here's a good one for you, stage32.com. If you've never been out to stage32.com, that's the place to go for authors, uh, editors, publishers, filmmakers, everybody in this media industry. Lots and lots of connections you can make on stage32.com. Half a million authors, film directors, publishers, whatever, are on stage32.com. So that's a great place to network. Um, join a writer's group, you know, just all these things that have been said already, just really important to get with other people who are doing the same thing as you are and learn. So that, that's a real important thing to do. I'm curious, as you're talking, any of you have um, particular knowledge or expertise with poetry? Is, is that a subgenre? Yeah, I mean, poetry is different, obviously. Um, you can, that's mostly competition-based. You can submit your pieces and build up, you know, a list of publications, and then once you have a book together, then you can submit that to competitions or presses. The Poetry Society of America has a very, very long list of presses. If you haven't checked out that website, A to Z, if you, <laughs> you could just start with A, and <laughs> but I would check out their websites first, of course. Um, the Academy of American Poets, they have resources. Um, the Poetry Foundation has resources. Poets and Writers has resources. Poets and Writers has resources for all of you. They have a grants and deadline section for that they have two months at a time. So right now they're probably doing November and December. And there are competitions for everything. Nonfiction, fiction, genre fiction, poetry, short story, memoir, everything and every, anything. What's great about that is that it's already vetted. So there, those are reliable, solid places for you to submit. Um, and they often put out newsletters with 30 new lit mags that you need to know about. And they do that several times a year for you to submit stories to or short pieces or poems or whatever. So if you don't have a Poets and Writers subscription, I highly recommend that you do that. Um, you can also look at Publishers Marketplace and Publishers Lunch. One is free, one costs $25 a month. Um, but that's where you can see what the market's doing and what's selling and to who and who the agents are. That's also very useful. Um, but going back to sort of um, ground zero, in a way there's a website called Author Salon that started a few years ago. And authorsalon.com, authorsalon.com. And it's got a novel um, program that you can work through online and it includes a forum where you share your work and people help critique along the way, but you can purchase it and move through it at your own pace. Um, I used to, fair, full disclosure, I used to moderate there. I'm not really doing that anymore, but um, I find that to be another great website where writers can engage with each other, and they do have um, 
agent competitions periodically where you can pitch to agents um, written. It's not like a verbal or a Skype or a Google Hangout kind of thing. Um, it's not virtu virtual, it's in writing. You pitch to them and they, I think there's like a dozen or more and they do that several times a year as well. So that's another opportunity. Um, but just to give you a little bit about where I came from, I was at Creative Alliance as their uh, first writer in residence, and I think I was there a week before I was introduced to Greg. <laughs> and um, that was it. Like, Greg knows everybody, Greg is connected to everybody, and I'm also at the State Arts Council, so I am too to some degree. But we started a program together, and from there, we just started meeting everybody and helping to connect everybody that we met. And so, you know, if you want to email, I'm sure I'm volunteering you. If you want to email either one of us, and I can also have my Arts Council cards, which that's where you should email me. We both have lists of information of festivals and uh, conferences and workshops and lit mags and presses and readings that we could just forward to you so that you know what's going on, especially in Baltimore. Yeah, I can't add much to what's just been said, but I'll tell you two, two quick stories. You know, I mentioned that uh, 25 years ago when I started Johns Hopkins University Press, I was fortunate enough to be assigned to editors who were real mentors um, and really taught me the business of, of publishing. Uh, the other mentor who I had, um, uh, when I was still young, really taught me about mission and drive. Uh, his name is Paul Coates, and he is the uh, publisher of something called Black Classic Press. And his main mission at the time was um, bringing back into circulation classics of African-American literature, memoir, and nonfiction. 20 years ago, I had no idea he had a son by the name of Ta-Nehisi. Right? So when Ta-Nehisi came Ta-Nehisi Coates, I knew his dad. So when I called Ta-Nehisi Coates up, say, will you come to a, a book festival or event? He said, yes. Right? So the better relationships. He hasn't said yes to me lately. <laughs> Pretty damn busy. Um, but it's just, you know, who you know, right? It's not who you know, it's like who you know. Right. So, can I, can yeah. I piggyback on that for one thing, which is also um, when a lot of this relationship building, if we're talking about relationships, even in publishing, if you approach book first, it's, you're, you're not building a relationship. You're kind of like wedging yourself in. So. Uh, sometimes it's best to, to you know, get to know someone on another level, ask them about their stuff, ask them what they've got, got going on. If it, if it comes organically, um, you're, you're not, you're, they're used to people throwing themselves um, forward and, and there's something to be said for, um, for, that, for that word I really like that you said, to build relationships. You didn't say, how do you get your foot in the door? You said build relationships and I think that's actually a key that, that's really important. Now, I'll, I'll tell one more brief story. Um, so not only is it important to build relationships as part of a community, it's important to be able to, to develop relationships and have relationships when you're going through the publishing process with your editor. Um, I'll give you two quick examples. Um, Holocaust memoir. Uh, memoir by an African-American woman who grew up on Maryland's eastern shore in the 30s when the last lynchings in the state were happening. Um, I am not a Jewish Holocaust survivor, and you can probably tell by looking at me I'm not an elderly African-American woman. I've learned so much from these two individuals, both who are now departed from us. Um, I'm a better man for having gone through the relationships of publishing these books 
with these authors. I hope to think I'm a better man, better person, um, because they gave me insight into their lives and they helped me build two relationships that are still paying dividends today. By I learned from them, even though they're gone. I reread these books. I think of the conversations we had because guess what? In this original manuscript, there was a grandmother character who wasn't doing anything to propel the narrative, the main thrust of the narrative. So I had to tell this 80, at the time she was 75 years old, that basically grandmom had to go, right? And how do you do that if you haven't developed a relationship of trust and professionalism with someone who could then see the changes that your editor's making? And you're very, like we said earlier, you said earlier, it's like we, we're, we're kind, but we're forthright, we're straightforward. And so if you don't have a good, solid relationship, um, that you tr based on trust and professionalism and respect, uh, it's, it's a difficult relationship to have an author-editor relationship if if you don't know how to develop good relationships. So, so um, yeah, so it really is. I mean, relationships. I think probably throughout all the artistic disciplines, but but certainly in my experience as a literary artist and as a publisher, it's it's really it's all about the relationships. Okay, so and before we I add add one the, tiny little thing, sorry, I'm just going to say that means pay it forward. Pay it Okay, so it's not just about building a relationship for what you want, it's about when you encounter people paying it forward and giving them the leg up that they need. Okay, so before we head into the next question, first off, I love that idea about trust between you and the editor, Greg, and I love the um, Baltimore Science Fiction Society myself. I used to go to Critique Circle, it's absolutely amazing. But um, can the authors try to keep the um, answers to the questions are a little bit more concise and thorough. We're trying to get through all questions. And for the attendees, um, there will be about 10 or 15 minutes at the end, so try to keep your questions until then. Um, the next question is something that both Christine and Greg mentioned, which is, should you work with a writing coach or a freelance editor? Yes. <laughs> Not that concise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the bottom line is you, you can be the best writer in the world. It doesn't matter. Everyone needs an editor. You can't see your work objectively. You won't know that the grandmother needs to go because you'll love that grandmother so much you'll think you'll make her work when she doesn't really work, and that's a darling. If you guys haven't heard that expression, kill your darlings, and that's like kill the things that you have to get rid of the things that don't work, and often editors can see that more than you can. They can teach you about your strengths and weaknesses. Um, that's not a copy edit, we're talking a developmental edit to start, which is about structure and content. If you're, if you're submitting to magazines, I would say that you don't need to pay an editor beforehand. You can, you know, if you go through a critique circle especially, or you have someone else you show your work to, and you've done everything you can to make it the best work you can, um, you can send it out and, and they will edit it before it goes to print. Um, if you're a, a self-published author, um, in, in my opinion, I think you should, that, that it's worthwhile paying a, a freelance editor to make sure that, that again, as Christine said, you, the things that you can't see come to light. Yes, yeah, yeah, you, you have to. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. Yeah, you, I mean, you, if you're going to publish your book and you have a story, you got to make sure that everything in there is I don't know, readable. Like it's it's a good story. So you can't do that because that, that's your baby. You can't tell your baby like, "Hey, you're 
you're horrible. No, someone else has to do it. So, uh, and they have to tell you how to how to fix it. So, yes, you you have to. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, I think writing coaches come in many forms. Um, Sarah mentioned critique groups. That's very important. And there are also other kinds. College professors who teach courses in writing can be a coach to you. Um, just to, again, going back to the relationship thing, form those relationships and use them well and get back in those relationships. And there are various other kinds of, um, of writing circles or individuals that you could contact to be a coach to you. You could pay one, but that's kind of expensive. It's really just forming those relationships and listening. Take that advice, take the criticism with a grain of salt, kill your darlings, and don't be afraid to change the entire manuscript. In my last book, I, I went through 70 pages of the first, first 70 pages I wrote, and I submitted them to my editor, and he said, where are you going with this? And I threw them out and started over again, because I needed to. So, and and they, the book is now 270 pages in, and he loves it. But if he hadn't been honest with me and said, this is going nowhere, my book would have gone nowhere. So it's really important to listen. Okay, and the next question is, how would somebody find a literary agent? Does anyone else want to start? Oh, okay. Um, the, the, the first thing I would say is open your favorite recent book and look at who your favorite recent author thanks as their agent. Somewhere in those acknowledgments are going to say thank you to, to my editor, most likely. You can start keeping lists now, even if you're not ready yet. Um, start keeping a list of who your uh, authors are, are um, thanking. And um, you can also look at Publishers uh, Marketplace, uh, which takes a subscription, but you can team up with a bunch of people and get a subscription, or you can do their free trial. You can search there. Um, and, and just look at who's selling books. Uh, so that's, that's where you start forming the idea of which agents are selling. Uh, and then uh, when you have a manuscript in hand that you think is completely ready, you, uh, they usually ask for a, a synopsis. And there's all kinds of resources online for how to write a synopsis, um, condensing your work down to, it's agonizing, but, but it's what they want. And uh, a query letter, which you also have to agonize over. And once you have those two things in hand, you can, approach, uh, you can look up their websites. You can see if they're currently accepting uh, new clients, and um, and and then you and then you submit that stuff, and it, and you may have to try ten or twenty or thirty. It's a long process. There's a there's a website called Query Tracker that I I believe has a free version, um, which which is also a good tool. And then you can throw that out the window if something magical happens, like you know you can get an offer, you can uh, pitch at a at a writing convention and, and they, they can accept you on the spot. There's, two, there's people who accept, um, I, I do have one friend who, who got her agent through a, a, a Twitter, like, like she condensed her, her novel down to one line and, and an excellent agent said, I would like that. And, and she, her book sold three weeks later. So, so all kinds of magic happens, but those first things are how it traditionally happens. Um, I, I got my agent through a weird one of the weird asterisk versions, so I'm not going to tell you how that happened. Um, but but I had done the research ahead of time, 
and looked at everyone who I was interested in and made the decision based on, on that. So I'll just add really quickly that there's a website called Manuscript Wishlist, and um, it's hashtag MSWL or, you know, at MSWL, and they have a website, and you can put in, plug in the basics of your book, and it'll give you the specific agents who are looking for what you have. And if you follow the feed on Twitter at hashtag, um, you'll see people posting their all, everyday, all-day agents and editors, and they'll have times where they'll be pitching and stuff like that. Twitter is a really, if you can stand it, which is, I'm not a big Twitter fan, but um, I think this handout has about 15 or 20 of these Twitter pitch competitions, and some of them are genre-based, and there's definitely sci-fi and fantasy and others. Um, you just have to use the right hashtags, and you have to write your pitch in three or four different ways, and then you pitch them at certain times of day, and you just have to keep track. But um, it's that, and it's also if you have uh, friends who have agents, you can ask them if they wouldn't mind putting you forward. Um, I've done that for people, people have done that for me. So that's another good way. If they can vouch for you, you have a better chance of being read. The Professional Association of Agents is something called the Association of Authors Representatives. And you can Google that and get to their website, which they have a very strong search engine themselves. You can put in your geography, your genre, your topic, and they can whittle it down to uh, agents who look for that kind of material. Also, uh, Poets and Writers Magazine has a, root, a regular feature called Meet the Agent. And then thirdly, uh, the Association of Writing Programs. That's sort of like the academic association for um, university-based uh, Masters of Fine Arts programs and Bachelors of Fine Arts programs. Um, I was on the site just the other day, and they have started a new feature, which I think is free. I don't think you have to be a member of AWP, but they're, they're starting to do um, sort of agent profiles, uh, agency profiles. So it's in their banner. It rotates at the top. So it's Association of writing programs, AWP. I've got nothing to add. I'm, I don't have an agent, so I'm just writing down everything they say. So if you get one, let me know, and I'll, I'll, try, I'll try and get one. There are books on Amazon that you can have lists of, of agents. And Herman's, uh, I think, Jeff Herman is, is one that has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of agents. Uh, you could buy that for like 12 bucks or something, 17 bucks. Um, also, you might want to go out to Writer Beware uh, website. There are scams out there. Don't pay a literary agent. A good literary agent will never, ever, 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 ever ask you for money. They get money by selling your books. So don't, don't uh, necessarily be caught up in somebody who can promise and promise and just give me $1,000 and it's not true. All right, so moving on to the next question. How do you pitch your book to an agent or editor? I, I teach this, so I can give you a little bit, and it might be more than you want to know, but whatever. So um, a pitch should be pretty short. Um, you know, if you can do 100 words, that's awesome. 150 to 200 is okay over that, and their eyes will glaze over. It depends on how much time you, you the speed dating is at a conference, for example. Um, or how much time you pay for, because sometimes that is the case. You can pay for 10 minutes with an agent or 15 minutes with an agent. You can do that online as well. Um, Manuscript Wishlist has regular events where you can pay for 10 or 15 minutes of coaching or pitching with an agent. Um, there's a formula for it. Uh, I'm not going to go into it now, um, but you can Google things or places. There's Pitch University where you can practice. 
Um, there are all different kinds of, the book doctors has regular pitch paloozas and they come around the country and they do that. They have a book about it. Um, you can find a lot of stuff online. Of course, if you want to email me, I can send you the formula. Um, but it's, it's pretty short and you want to use comparables because that's a good shortcut so, writer, uh, so agents and editors can get a sense of your book without you having to tell them everything. Um, you're going to want to make sure that you pick books that are three to five years out, no, no longer as your comparable, because then they'll, and don't pick some famous book like Eat, Pray, Love, or, oh God, don't pick Eat, Pray, Love at all, and don't pick Gone Girl, and don't pick anything that's gone viral and crazy because then they think you've lost your mind and that you, you're just comparing yourself to some famous writer, famous book, and that you don't really know yourself or your writing. That it sounds kind of arrogant, and then they, you've put them off. So pick comparables that show you know your genre and you know the market. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. There's a million things, so I can't really. Uh, if they ask for the ending, you have to tell them. This is the hardest part for writers to understand. But if they ask the ending, they're interested. So you have to tell them. Oh, I'm sorry. Great. It's okay. And actually, I don't have a lot of that. Okay. You are? Um, I guess as far as pitching goes, go out to the, the uh, agent's website and look at the procedures they require. Each one may be a little bit different. So just check on the submission procedures that they ask for and follow it really closely. Or because they have lots and lots and lots of submissions. And if it comes in a format that they can't process quickly, they're just going to toss it in the pile. So just make sure you follow procedures that they have on their websites really closely. Yeah, I guess I could add the following. Um, since our, our poet friend mentioned this, and it really is a different world between prose and poetry. For fiction, for a new writer, uh, make sure that the manuscript is complete and has probably gone through a couple rounds of a writing coach or a critique group. Um, because if the, if the agent says, yes, I'm interested, send me the manuscript, uh, you don't want to say, okay, great, I'll send it to you in eight months when it's done. Okay. You just shot yourself in the foot. With creative nonfiction, and I think this is changing from my perception a little bit, but back in the day, creative nonfiction or memoirs or things of that nature, you used to be able to pitch it on the strength of a proposal, uh, which still pretty much is the case, and the proposal is a couple sample chapters and information about you and the inquiry letter and the stuff that Chris has mentioned about pitch. Um, but uh, I, I think it's getting more and more competitive these days that you pretty much almost have to have your creative nonfiction manuscript written. Um, uh, but I know plenty of um, uh, nonfiction writers who, you know, that's how they make their living. They pitch, they get an advance on their royalties, they work for a year, finish the writing, pitch, and while they're writing the manuscript for that project, they're pitching, or they're developing the pitch, the proposal for the next project and they just sort of cascade from one another like that, and they make a pretty good living doing that. So fiction, make sure your manuscript's done. Creative nonfiction, memoirs, chances are you could probably do it on a straight through proposal alone. Poetry, you really need to have your credentials and, and, and demonstrate how you've been published in journals or other uh, other uh, places before. That really builds up your credentials. I did think of something. <laughs> I wanna add two things, one of which is uh, make sure that your manuscript is appropriate in length for the agents or editors that you're approaching and make sure that, that your genre appropriate for them as well. Um, the, the two things I said earlier still stand, uh, the query letter and, um, and the synopsis, which does include the ending. Um, and 
and then the other thing is is you may you may want to have a one or two sentence version at the ready in case you run into them in an elevator. And again, you're not going to throw your pitch at them, but if they say, "Oh, you're a writer," you know, like you've got a badge on, what are you, you know, what have you got going? Like to be able to say, "Oh, I've written a book that's um, uh, thoughts in italics that that bestseller, um, but for for uh, cursive instead." You know, <laughs> you know, like like to be able to make that quick pitch. Um, that's and then the last thing I want to say is also, um, if you write short fiction, you need neither a, an agent nor an editor a, ahead of time. The gatekeepers are um, the the magazine themselves and their slush readers, and so there's a whole different thing there where you can submit magazines and look them up on either poets and writers is a great one, Duotrope is a great one, and. Um, uh, the Submission Grinder. Those are all places you can look up short fiction markets and, and also poetry markets and uh, you don't need a pitch in order to, to sell that. You just need the story in its complete form. So the next question is just going to be for Chris and Greg and it is going to be what should be included in a book proposal? Greg will probably fill in gaps for me since I don't look at as many as these. But um, a book proposal can it be anywhere from like 10 to 50 pages, depending. And it has, um, there's definitely a cover letter, but that's a little different. Um, a query letter for fiction contains your pitch, so that's the plus <coughs> side. So, because once you've written your pitch, you can just plug that into your query, add a little massaging at the front to say, hi, I admire you, or this book, met you at a conference, blah, blah, blah. And then you go into your pitch, and then you put your bio, and you say thanks. <laughs> That's it. It's pretty much a query letter. The shorter, the better. White space is your friend. Um, but a book proposal is a bit more involved. You have your, um, you have to know your audience. You have to have sort of a marketing plan. You have to have um, other titles that are similar, but you have to say why yours is different. Um, not better. Don't be snooty about it, but just why your book is different and fills a, a gap that exists. And then you'll have sample chapters, and just depending on your topic, it can run into you know, dozens of pages, but um, it shouldn't run too long. Like if you're hitting 80, you might want to step back a bit. You might want to get an editor. So you, I, have editor I have edited book proposals before. So uh, I'll take the opposite tact. I will describe to you the process I go through when I look at a proposal. Say if something has been, I just wrote this down the other day for an intern that I'm training at City Lit, so. Um, so I get something over the transom, unsolicited, in the mail, a proposal. And this is what I go through. This is the process, six-step process. Is the topic of any interest, is it engaging to me as an individual reader, and do I think other readers will be engaged by it? And as a nonprofit, we do have to think a little bit about does it fit our mission, right? Um, there are many awesome nonprofit publishers out there. I think of things like Grey Wolf, um, Coffee House, Milkweed Editions. It's not any mistake that those three places happen to be in Minneapolis, great literary town. Two, is the writing any good? I'm looking at your cover letter too, um, and I'm looking at whatever sample material you submitted. You know, is the writing any good? Um, and if it's not, according to my opinion, you know, how much am I willing to work with said author 
to uh, give it the, the first consideration. This is really engaging material. The writing is eh, but I think it's so cool that I'm willing to work, ex and I've done that before. I've worked really, really hard with authors who were horrible writers but had a great story. Um, three, what are the author's credentials? Um, is that person an expert in whatever they're writing about? Um, does that person have a past history of publications? Uh, does it any, what does that person bring to the table insofar as you know, marketing angles? Uh, four, uh, can my publishing company afford to produce it? Can we actually afford to design and, and print it and manufacture it? And if not, because we're a nonprofit, are there grants available that could help subsidize the, uh, the production of the book? Five, uh, can we as an organization effectively market it? And that's very important because I don't do City Lit any favors and I don't do you any favors as an author if for some reason I decide I just don't have the resources. Not may, it may not mean it's not marketable, but maybe me as an individual publisher and City Lit as an individual organization, we just may not have the resources to do it justice. And that does no one any favors, right? And then six, um, uh, I will evaluate working with the author. That kind of goes back to the relationship situation. And I've gotten myself in situations where the project either been foisted upon me or I didn't really have a clear understanding of the relationship uh, beforehand. And I've had some really just crummy experiences with writers who turned out to be more pains in the neck than it probably in hindsight was worth <laughs> going through the process. And it's a long process of, of, of editing, designing, and, and publishing and then marketing a book. So that's sort of the process I go through. So our next question is going to be for you guys, the, the writers. Um, when you communicate with an editor or agent, how do you justify the writing and publishing of your book? I don't want to go first. No. <laughs> <laughs> you editors can answer to you guys are writers as well. How do you justify the writing and publishing of your book when you speak to an editor or agent when you're in communication with them? I believe in my work. I mean, that, that's, I think, the bottom line of that question for me. Uh, and I, my work hopefully speaks for itself. You know, the, that I, I've got, so I, I, I may start with the fact that I have 50 stories published and I've won the following awards. Um, and I've been published in, in you know, all different languages. And um, these, are, these are things that, that if I'm trying to sell a book, those are things that I'll use to justify it. But at my core, those, those are, you know, that, that's a, a resume at that point. At, at the core, what I believe is that I have a story worth telling. And that's what I'm going to use to, to sell it ultimately. Because all, all, all of those things are passed by the time that they've, that, you know, that they're on the resume all that matters is the next one and the fact that I can do this consistently, that I have a good writing practice, as Christine said earlier, that I can turn you know, that I can work and, and bring in art and beauty and, and production and get it done on a deadline. All of those things can come in and I believe in my work. I've been trying to justify my writing and my work for 10 years now. Like, I, I've been trying to sit down and say, this is... This is good. This is this is this is worth buying. Um, it's more like like Sarah said, me believing in myself. So it's me believing in my writing. I mean, I've I've won four book awards. Um, I I've been on NPR. I've talked to people. I've 
I'm sitting up here talking to all of you. Um, but it's, it, at the end of the day, it's believing that my story is worth the read. Um, every single time someone buys my book, I, I'm like, really? Like, are you sure you really wanna buy that? And it's almost like I'm trying to talk them out of it. But, but I get emails and they say, this is good, this is great work, but it's me believing that I'm a good writer and my work is worth reading. So same thing for you. You gotta believe that what you're writing is, is worth it. So you develop that tough skin and you get better and you become a better writer. Yeah, same here. I think uh, writers have something important to say. That's why we write. And you have to believe that what you're saying is good and, and important for the world or for your family or whoever your target audience is and that, that what you have, are saying in your book is meaningful. So for me, I write Irish fantasy books. And so I, I try to make this you know, nice, fun, exciting story about goblins and leprechauns and fairies and things that kids will really love. But underneath that, there's a story, there's another story I'm telling. It's an allegory. And so I, I write about the things that I think are important in life. And so that's, that's the underlying message I want to, to give the world, is not just that if this is a great fun story, you know, like Harry Potter or something like that, but there's more depth to that, and I think it's important. It's the medium by which I can convey what I believe is true. So and I think that's what all writers really strive to do, is we're saying something important. And you have to believe what, just, what you're saying is good and important. Yeah, my my props are really my MFA profs really press us with, you know, why this story, why now? You know, what's been that irritant, that itch that has been bothering you, uh, that has forced you to spend the last year or so of your life writing this thing? Why? Um, uh, and just to use sort of an example of some, you know, recent low-hanging fruit, I mean, you know, the reemergence of the dystopian novel or dystopian stories given the social political times we live in. Um, but also like the important work that like Colson Whitehead and Jasmine Ward has been, have been producing lately. You know, very, you know, that's why those stories now. Uh, so if you can ask yourself that question and answer that question, um, I think that'll sort of, that justifies your ability to convince a publisher to spend money and time and resources in bringing it to a public. I just want to add something a little touchy-feely, I think, because I don't think, you don't have to justify your writing. That's the bottom line. If you want to do it, do it. You don't have to explain it to anybody. You don't have to convince anybody. That's for you. That's true. Um, if you want to play around or explore or whatever you want to do, do it. You don't need permission from anyone. Um, if you want to sell it, you want people to buy it, that's when you have to play the game. Right, right. That's what I mean. Yes, yes. That, that's no, the yeah. publishing. Yeah, that's the, that's the art. I was just doing the right. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, sure. I just wanted to get the art in there. Yeah, because that, that, that tends to lead to, to, to writers like, you know, asking publishers, well, what should I be writing? Exactly. Well, no, you write what you're driven to write, because that's exactly. the art, that's your art. You know, what's the next big thing? Well, you know, don't worry about that so much. Um, and I dare say that, you know, J.K. Rowling didn't know that when she was writing about this crazy little wizard guy with a scar, <laughs> like the whole scar, right? Which was so, rejected by dozens of totally. Right, right, yeah. right. So write, yeah, the, yeah, Chris, write, write what you're propelled to write. 
I just don't want anybody to get disheartened by all the stuff we're throwing at you. <laughs> Your work matters in the end. All what you're doing is important. Right, and we're talking the business of publishing, which means right. we're talking the, right. about all these gatekeepers when the truth is, like if you're talking about your writing, if you, if you right. want to write, you should be writing. If you love writing, you should be writing. If you love having written, you should be writing. All of those things, but that's different from publishing, which is a lot harsher. Right. All right, so the next question will be for all of you. It is, how do you target your market? I'm going to take this one. <laughs> so, I saw this uh, when I first started writing about 10 years ago, and I was like, what's a market? I just like to write. Uh, and after a while, I started to realize it. So, Thoughts and Italics was my first book, Book of Short Stories. And I was like, there's, I mean, it's for everybody, right? Everyone wants to read a book of short stories. So I had no idea what market I was talking about. But as I started to write, I started to figure out um, who would be interested in my book. So as you begin to write, try and figure out who is going to read your book. If it's um, science fiction, uh, you gotta know how to target those individuals. Find science fiction readers, and writers by going to science fiction conferences, uh, talking to individuals, um, and just trying to hone your work to actually match that. Uh, and the best example that I have of that is Heroes, Villains, and Healing. So uh, I'm a survivor of child sexual abuse, and using superheroes was my medium in order to get that into the hands of other survivors I had to know that I had to find a way to make it accessible to them. So marketing to them uh, meant doing something that I love, was talking about comics, but also making it so that it was not threatening. Rather than write a memoir, rape black male, immediately you see those words and you get pushed off. So knowing and honing and figuring out who is going to buy your work and how to market it uh, towards them and how to make it accessible. Um, it just takes practice and talking to individuals and making sure that it's, it's the best that it possibly can be and then learning from your mistakes uh, as you keep going. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and also it, in, along those lines, if you're marketing online through Facebook or YouTube or Google or whatever, uh, Amazon, there are key words that you use, and you can target your audience down to their age and their interests and all these various criteria that you pick. Um, and you learn over time how to, to shape those ads you know, better and better until you actually get some responses back. So I've done um, book trailers, made my own book trailers using Windows Movie Maker and things like that. And you have to make it 30 seconds long so nobody's going to wait you know, more than that to for an ad to finish and that sort of thing. So targeting by keywords and by genre and by gender and age and all these things, all these criteria, you have to kind of learn over time how to do that. And there's probably some like, you could look at YouTube videos and get advice on how to do that through the various social media and uh, advertising programs. So, why do you need a business plan for yourself and your book? This is for everybody. <laughs> I'll admit I don't have a business plan. I have, um, 
I have a set of goals, and I have uh, something that I call my bingo card, uh, which is a list of the things I'd like to accomplish um, that, that is actually taken from a writer named Christy and to put hers freely available online so that you can adapt it for yourself. But everything that I want to do is on there. Um, and, and it kind of reflects the fact that writing is not a ladder necessarily and the things that you're trying to achieve are not in any set order for any two different people. Um, so I like my bingo card. Um, and beyond that, I have, I have plans, but I, I, I don't actually have a business plan, so. Um, my business plan is, is evolving pretty much every year. Like, I, I have a ledger, and I go through pretty much what uh, festivals I can afford to go to, other ones I can't afford to go to, uh, my marketing. Uh, I look at how many uh, books I'm able to sell and what I can use for my royalties to actually use those royalties to buy more books. There's, there's a lot that goes into the business plan. Taking a few business classes would prof probably be helpful uh, for you and for me. Uh, but you have to go into this knowing that if you are going to write and you're going to sell your work, this is a business. Uh, you are selling yourself. Uh, as you can see from my display in the back, I have learned this. Uh, so when you are writing your material and you're trying to get other individuals to buy your material, you this is a business. So give yourself a name. Because at the end of the year, the government is going to want their money. And you have to pay them. So give yourself a name. Register yourself as a sole proprietor business. Um, figure out the ins and, and outs because like you're, the end goal is trying to end up in the black. Uh, I haven't done it yet, uh, but I'm, I'm getting closer. Uh, and just, just learning and evolving and trying to figure out that business plan every single year. Yeah, and, and a business plan, there are different ways you can do a business plan. There are one-page business plans, like a bingo card idea, that sort of thing, it's kind of fun. Um, but give yourself a vision and a mission. And I jotted down my, my vision statement for my business. My business is called Strangeland Productions. And my vision is to create an Irish fantasy book series that's family-friendly and film-worthy. So that's, that's my vision, to, to eventually get into film. And I've started exploring that a little bit. But a, a business plan can be short. Here's mine. Just, it's one little page. Um, I kind of like the uh, bingo card idea. That's kind of neat. But a vision, a mission, objectives, strategies, startup capital, anticipated expenses, desired income, and an action plan. So just short little thing. It doesn't have to be real complex. You can, you can get as complex as you want, but start small. Just jot down ideas, have a bingo card, do something just so you have a, a focused direction and you, and you know where you're going and how much you're going to spend and what you hope to make. I'm just going to add that if you're going the traditional route, um, it's not just you involved. Um, you're a little bit at the mercy of your publisher. So you have to think of yourself, like Ben is saying, uh, I think a brand. You're a brand. And so if you're going the traditional route, they're going to have ideas about what your brand is. So you better make sure that, that you are on board with that. So if you've written a novel that sort of straddles the line between adult and young adult, and they want you to go young adult because that's what's hot and it just keeps on going, don't know when us grown-up writers are going to get our chance, but someday, just like <coughs> memoir, YA will peter out, so get in while you can. Um, make sure that you want to be YA, because once you're YA, you're YA. 
So if you're an adult, if you're writing for adults, then don't say no to that or sell out and get the money, whatever you want, it's up to you, no judgment. Um, but you just want to make sure that you're on board with whatever that brand is. And if not, then you say, no, I'm this. Same with genre, they'll try to skew you into a certain genre because they need to make money off of you and that just doesn't happen with one book. So you have to get your ideas set about what you feel is your brand before you go out because you're gonna have a lot coming at you and you'll have to make some tough choices. Yeah, I would just add, I mean, everybody said such great advice, but um, there are so many, especially if you decide to self-publish, it's a money pit. It can be a real money pit. And I know some of the services online, less so CreateSpace, but they're not in it for you, they're in it for them, and they're gonna try to squeeze every dime they can out of you. I mean, back in the day, I, don't, I haven't looked at it lately, but you know, if every time you had to, if you, if you keep seeing typos, and every time you re-upload your PDF to the vendor source, they're gonna charge you again. Um, and then if you do it enough times, you're like, well, damn it, I should have paid that editor the $5,000 she asked for, or whatever, the $2,000, you know, up front, because I wouldn't saved in reloading the typos. So, there, I mean, um, and then other services, they, I've actually seen um, online services that like, do you want the bronze, silver, or gold editorial treatment? <laughs> well, I can't afford the gold treatment, so I'll go cheapy with the bronze, and you can keep 75% of the typos and grammar mistakes. And that just makes sense, right? Why would you opt for the bronze? <laughs> but but they have price levels, right? And then do you want the gold, the bronze, silver, or gold design treatment? No, I want book to look like crap. Um, so. They're looking for ways to make money off of you every single turn. So, you know, uh, you don't want to lose your shirt before you even get to the marketing of your book. And then secondly, as far as a business plan goes, you know, don't forget that if you're interested in, um, like, reading at bookstores or reading at festivals, you know, bookstores are planning six to eight months out. Festivals are planning year, year and a half out. Like, if I have a festival in April, I probably started planning that a year and a half earlier. It's probably all the spots for that festival got sewn up at least six months before I the said, event. I right? sent my stuff two months ago. So, yeah, I mean, so, totally. Um, so, and so if you miss that cycle and you're looking for sales to help cover and make some of the money back that you've spent in producing the book, well, if you miss that cycle, you're going to be out like another year. And if the book's time sensitive, well, then that's even worse, right? So, so you need, it's a complex thing, right? You're, like Kenneth said, you're starting a business. Then both Kenneth and Ben. Starting a bit of business, so have a, a, it doesn't have to be complex, but you have to be able to find a way to, you know, um, find your way and keep your way, and when you get lost, to find your way back. I would add really quickly that that applies for grants too. Yeah, right. If you want a grant, those are way out. Right. Like, so you have to start usually a year out for grants. All right, finally, our last question, you guys. Thanks for sticking with us. After the book deal, what should you expect of contracts? Contracts, like traditional publishing? Traditional, yes. Okay. Whether it's um, small press or big. Yeah, sure. So, so even though I'm a small press, my contracts are very similar to what you'll experience or what you would see if you got a big contract um, from, from a larger house, one of the five major houses. The, the royalty rates aren't that great. Um, but. You basically, you are conveying everything in your book, all the rights to your book, over to the publisher. 
So understand that. That's pretty important stuff. Um, everything's negotiable, so you, you probably want to get, if you don't have an agent, you, you very likely are going to want to engage uh, a lawyer, particularly a lawyer who has experience in intellectual property, right? Um, to review your contract and make sure that you know what you're getting into because it's not only, it's the contract for, for, your, for your intellectual property, like I just said, not necessarily, so that's gonna include the book, hardback book, paperback book, audio rights, film rights, cinematic rights, theater rights, uh, first and second serial um, rights and magazines, so all of these different ways that this content, that primarily you want to be a book, can be um, exploited, and I mean that in a good way, exploited um, exercise is probably a better word. Um, and, and it's usually like a 10 or 12 page document, and, and it's a lot of legalese, so are you qualified to review that and sort of evaluate the, uh, the quality of that contract? So no, you probably want to engage a lawyer of some sort. Um, and then conversely, the publisher in that document says what they're gonna do for you, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a legal agreement, just like any other sort of legal binding agreement that you would get into. And maybe, Sarah, I'm sure you have more nuanced. As I pass it to Sarah, I wanna add two quick things. One, we have Maryland volunteer lawyers oh, yeah, for the arts here exactly. in Maryland, and they yeah. will look at your work in clinics for free, your contracts or whatever, or they might charge you 25 bucks, right. super cheap. Maryland Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts. They also give sessions on copyright and other stuff, so I highly recommend going out to those, those are free. Um, second of all, in our contracts at Del Sol Press, we have built in an editing clause, because I have been through those nightmare editing jobs too, and we built in a clause that says if we can't come to a mutual agreement about the edit final product via editing, we don't publish it. So the first thing I want to mention is the Science Fiction Writers of America, sfwa.org, has model contracts on the website um, that include a, a short fiction contract, a, a, a novel contract, an agent contract. I can't remember if there's anything else up there right now. But those are annotated contracts that tell you what different clauses mean and why you should or shouldn't push back against them. Um, Short fiction contracts you can usually do on your own, um, and and there are certain rights you should make sure that they aren't trying to take, and certain that you should make sure that there's always a reversion clause so that you get your book or your story back if you don't um, if they don't publish it soon enough. Um, there should if they're paying you, you should make sure that it says when they're going to pay you and how much um, that they can't alter it without your permission. Um, all kinds of stuff like that, and that's all in those CIPFO contracts too. Um, and the other thing is if you get a contract and you don't have an agent, like some, some presses will have open um, calls for books where you can bypass the agent, you can turn that into an agent sometime, sometimes by then contacting agents and say, I just got a contract, um, would you like to be my agent? And they. The thing is that they can negotiate some of these things um, that, that a press will try to take, even the most uh, friendly, uh, author-friendly press, they, they want to do what's best for them, and you want to do what's best for you, and somewhere in between there is what the contract is agreeing on. Um, so so that, that may be um, how much the advance is, that may be whether they, whether they get to be the ones who sell the audio rights, or whether you get the audio rights, um, what percentage you get, um, all of these things. An agent can push back better than an author can, or a lawyer can push back. That's just, that's just how it goes. You know, they, they have this clout, they have the way of saying it. 
um, they know what they can what they can and can't negotiate. Um, but you can always pay a lawyer to do that same thing, and, and it's probably worth it to maintain some of those things for yourself, because you can probably, if your book sold well, you can probably sell the audio rights and get more. You know, there, there's places where you, where you should be holding on to stuff for yourself. And I don't have a traditional publisher, but I do have a print-on-demand publisher, so you, you will get a contract if you do go um, uh, print-on-demand publishing, but that means that with print-on-demand, you own the rights to your book. So I own my book. So let's say one of the uh, big guys uh, or small presses, they, they want to buy my book. I have negotiating power that I can take my book back and I can sell it to a bigger publishing house. Um, so it's everything they said still applies, but um, I still have a contract uh, and you know figuring out what goes in there, what doesn't. And since I've been with the same publisher for, I don't know, seven, eight years, you know, you get certain perks. So, um, you know, loyalty and, yeah, just read the contract. So being self-published through Amazon CreateSpace, it's a little different in that there is a contract that you enter into with Amazon. And I also have audiobooks for, for uh, all three of my books. And uh, you enter into a contract with an narrator as well. And so you have to kind of read fine print a little bit, make sure you know what you're getting into, what the royalty shares are, and various options that Amazon offers for their eBooks or for the printed books and so forth. So just kind of make sure you read the fine print and know what you're getting into so that you can uh, understand what you're going to get out of that. All right, awesome. Thank you guys so much for this lively input. Thank our panelists. Thanks. I just want to reiterate that um, before we start our Q&A, we do have program evaluations. Please give input. We would like to keep doing this, um, possibly even next year, um, bringing back more um, for more input. We also have handouts for both the humanities and business science technology department. Please pick those up. Um, I'm going to pass the mic over to Tracy if you guys have any questions for the Q&A. Any questions for our panelists? Hi, uh, first off, thank you so much for uh, this wonderful panel. Um, I feel like it's kind of lifted the veil of uncertainty and the fog of whatever, fog of war um, about publishing business, so it's a little less fearful. Um, so two questions I have, if I may. Um, they're kind of not related, but the, the first question is um, about literary agents. Um, it seems like nowadays there's a lot more freedom for publishing, a freedom of you know venues of where you want to go. But I'm kind of trying to get an understanding of like how important is an agent. I mean, some some of you mentioned, yeah, I wish I did have an agent, or you know, it's important to have one, or how do I get one, or things like that. And certain processes, it's it's really kind of critical. So I'm just kind of getting a, a real understanding of like how important in this. Stuff process and as a process of when or where or how or should should an agent come in. The second one uh, question I have is more about the toughness of skin you mentioned, um, and and really loving your work and, and knowing it's yours. I, I watched an interview one time with uh, uh, author Carl Marlantis, a Vietnam vet, and when he was writing his first book, it took him 30 years to get published, and over the decades he would pitch it and they would say like, okay, well you're writing about Vietnam. Nobody wants to read about that. You know, this is the 90s. We want, you know, everybody's interested in the Gulf War. So, you know, search all jungle and replace with desert. And then I'll sell it. 
and then the 2000 roll around, it's like, oh, Afghanistan, can you change it to, from, from this city to Kabul? And, you know, he was just like, no, this is, I don't understand Afghanistan, I don't understand this, and he sort of just had to have the tenacity to kind of stick with it. So I guess I'm just kind of curious about the toughness of skin and how important is this give and take relationship. So those are my two questions, and thank you. Well, the book has two owners to some degree, or three, you, the reader, and the publisher. So you're going to have one feeling about it, and then if you're going to open it up to other people, you're going to have to be able to take what comes back. And when publishers, when you go to the table, or the agent, or the editor, they're thinking how to sell. They're not, think, they're not holding you tight and saying, I love you, I love your book, I love, you know, it's not like that. You might find some really wonderful, kind people who really want to give you some good advice beyond just, I want to sell this and here's what you need to do to do it. Um, but a lot of people, they've seen 20 people, they're going to see 20 more, and they're just going like this. So that's, you're just going to have to suck it up, basically. Um, you might get some really good advice, which is wonderful. Um, new agents are really great because they will spend more time with you, they're more interested, they're building their list, they're more open to taking chances, so that might be good, but it depends on your goals. If you want to go the traditional route, you need an agent. That's it. And if you don't, then you don't. And there are lots of small presses, like Greg mentioned, there's Red Hen, there's Coffee House, there's all these places you can submit without an agent. And they also have competition. A lot of the presses that open up for reading periods as well, and you don't need an agent for that. So which, maybe try it one way and see how it goes, and then if it doesn't work, try it the other way and you know, figure out which is best for you. I'll, I can use myself as an example if you want, but I, um, I, sold, I verbally sold my collection to a, a small press uh, that, I, that, I very want, that was the top of my list on the basis of my short fiction um, without an agent. And then in between when we made that verbal agreement and um, when some other stuff happened, including some movie interest and, and a couple of other things, I, I went ahead and I got an agent. And um, I got the agent so that I could sell the book, hopefully, uh, the, my novel, um, to, to one of the big publishers with any luck. Because um, you do need that. Um, gatekeeper um, and for, for those particular publishers not for a lot of others but for those publishers and to make sure that those um, that when you do those contracts everything is right at the, at the next point um, and then she also helped negotiate when my actual contract came for my collection she negotiated a better deal for me even though we had this verbal agreement because we hadn't had a contract yet she, she actually improved what I had agreed upon verbally um, and, and sh uh, my agent is a new agent. I, I was fortunate to have a choice between a, a few, and I, I made the choice of the new agent over uh, some very experienced ones uh, because a new agent with the support of a good agency is someone who's hungry, and, um, and she, she believed in my work. You know, the, the others I thought believed in my work too, but, but uh, there was this great combination of of events that made me believe that she was the person who I wanted to work with as a partner in, in publishing. I'll just take this chance to plug this little publishing matrix that I created several years ago and updated all the time since the uh, landscape changes every year. 
uh, copies are over on the resource table. But basically what this matrix does is compares four different ways that you can go about getting published. Uh, and then compares them over several business categories, such as whether you need an agent or not, uh, the business model, who the target audience is, your role and your say-so in the editorial design process, what are your chances of getting into chain bookstores and frankly make the argument whether that's even a good thing these days, what the money picture is like, and then your role in the marketing and advertising of your book at the end of the day. Um, so, and the joke to the matrix is, regardless of how you get published, uh, you're responsible for all the marketing and advertising and promotion. <laughs> so, uh, so pick that up and I'll sort of answer some of those questions. And it's all geared on what your aspirations are. All right. Thank you very much. It was a great panel. Uh, got quite a bit out of it. Um, I was fortunate enough to um, attend a pitch session and an agent is interested in the memoir that I'm finishing. So um, what she asked for was a cover letter outline um, and a few chapters. Um, I realized when I was putting together the, uh, the chapters that there really was something I needed to, um, to address in the chapter so that it doesn't go off the rails. Um, my question is, should I contact her and say, it's been two months, you know, which is not a long time, you know, when they're asking for that. But should I contact her and say, I want to, um, I want a little bit more time because I'm uh, polishing this, or do I send it as is? By the way, I'm working with a, a literary, uh, a writing coach um, who has vetted the work as well. Yes. Actually, two months is a long time. If she's asked for it and it's been two months, that's, she probably expected it pretty soon. So um, you want to at least get in touch with her and give her a timeline about how long it's going to take you and that um, what you wanted to fix. And, um, and But you should also decide, like, is this a really, really big thing that's going to affect the whole book or is it just a little tweak that you feel is big but it might not be? Do you know what I mean? So you definitely want to touch base because... Um, they will forget. They will forget. Lots of people come in to fill the gap. Good afternoon. I wrote my autobiography and I finished it like two years ago. And I need someone to edit and publish my book. I wanted to know when I find that person, am I going to be there with them or I just send it, the hard copy to them? And would they change my autobiography in any way? My story. <laughs> there are different types of edits, so you can hire someone whose who's only job is to, to do copy edits, or you can hire someone who's a developmental editor who may look at the flow of your work and you know, whether, whether there's a character who, even if they're important to you, doesn't make sense in the, in the context of the book, even in a memoir. Um, so there, there are a whole bunch of different types of, of editor and you can choose which type you're interested in. And then um, you will send it to them. You won't, you won't be there at that exact moment in most cases. And I would suggest having a contract with them so you know when they're going to get it back to you, what exactly you're paying for, and what what um, what you're not. Yeah, and I would I would second that as well. That there are different kinds, and the cost is going to be different. So you might pay a dollar a page for a basic 
grammatical edit where you might pay $3 a page for a long-term interaction going back and forth and really a deep dive into your novel and the characters and all that sort of thing. So it's going to depend, price is going to depend on the con how deep you want to go. So I'm an editor, do you want to, okay, go ahead. No, that's ghostwriting. No, editors don't change your story. We will provide margin comments and sometimes that's the developmental part and a critique usually. Um, beyond that, then you once you've revised it a few times and they should work with you, follow up a little bit, um, then you can go into line editing, which is literally the sentence level editing and then you can have some copy editing in there. But anyone who's trying to sell you a whole package where they're doing all of that at once, and I've tried to do that and it doesn't work so I don't do it anymore. It's don't buy that because they're gonna suggest changes overall and you're just gonna delete tons of stuff that you paid to have edited or change it or whatever. Proofreading is always last when the book is totally ready. So unless that book is ready, no, don't pay anybody for proofreading. Um, there's the Editor Freelance Association or the Editorial Freelance Association, you can look to them. Um, and they do, like Ben said, lots of different ways of charging. I charge by the page, other people charge by the word, some people charge by the hour, some people charge by the service, and then they have like a page range where they say anywhere from 250 to 300, I charge this, that kind of stuff. But you can start there. I'd like to direct my question to Greg because he publishes uh, the kind of books I write and uh, I've read a lot of the ones that he has. I, I think there's a political message to a degree, but of your, I like the book by Leo, or did you do Brendan Willa Walsh? No, no. That was at Loyola after uh, I had left Loyola. Okay, but um, of the books that you've handled, which rose to the highest level, that is more of a national level? I think of Leo Bretholtz, yeah. and that might have a niche appeal, but what, have, have libraries brought the book, or, you know, to get to a higher zone. Yeah, well, I sort of, um, and believe me, it wasn't all uh, all due to me or the publishing company I was working with. It, it, was the, it was the nature of the content and the quality of the book. Leo's book, so this is a book about Leo, uh, who um, uh, grew up in, in Austria, uh, joined the French Foreign Legion, was on the run, literally leapt off a train bound for Auschwitz. At the time, he was a very skinny young man, and he was able to, uh, Frankly, uh, he uh, dipped his sweater in the bucket of urine that was on the train, and uh, using the sweater, this urine-soaked sweater as leverage, was able to uh, remove the rusty bars from the small train car window, and then was able to squeeze himself, him and another comrade, uh, through this window and literally jumped into the darkness of the French countryside before the tr train arrived in Auschwitz. Then he was spent seven years on the run um, in, during wartime uh, Europe. So. Uh, and for a small publisher, and this was sort of the tail end of the um, popularity of Holocaust memoirs because of the, uh, that generation was dying away. The people who survived were dying away and their stories were coming out. So it was pretty risky for a small publisher to, um, to publish a Holocaust memoir. It was co-written by Michael Olesker, who is a longtime Baltimore Sun columnist. So it was basically, I had the... Uh, uh, I had the uh, trust in Michael in, in being able to um, uh, elicit the story from Leo, who wasn't a writer, uh, and then write it well. So I knew it was, gonna, it was a good project. You know, of course, you know when you had lunch for the first time with Leo, and he pulls the yellow star from his pocket that was sewn onto his clothes, and the hair on the back of your neck stands up. You know, you just 
sort of you sort of gauge the importance of the of the project. We sold the uh, UK rights, so this book came out in uh, London in a British Commonwealth in English. It came out in German. It came out in uh, Dutch, um, and uh, we sold the paperback rights to this hardback to Random House. So Random House posted that. This is by far probably the the, the the one book in my entire career that rose to the top. We had another book, funny quick story, about um, a picture book, a photograph book, a very elegant book about children beating childhood cancer uh, in the uh, pediatric oncology ward at Hopkins. Um, and um, uh, uh, the, uh, so it was a beautiful, poignant, emotional book. The whole sort of story of the book was Several years ago, 90% of the kids were dying. Today, 90% of the kids were surviving because of the work of the docs and things like that. Um, and it, it got on to um, uh, NBC's Today Show. It made Matt Laura cry. And I was such a green publisher and unprepared that when I got into the office that morning, the fax machine, the you know, fax machine was out of paper because all the paper, all the orders from bookstores around the country are on the floor. And I probably missed dozens of orders because the the darn fax machine ran out of that slippery, slimy paper. Um, so that's probably, that probably got the biggest publicity of all the, of the books. And that also came, the project came packaged with a forward by uh, the dearly departed Tom Clancy, uh, who's a real jerk. <laughs> and uh, he, I, if you like his writing, great. The man I, was a bit of a, it was a jerk. Um, and uh, so he, he submits this, uh, you know, given the nature of pediatricology, he needed a very delicate forward. It's like, the docs are like soldiers, and the, the chemo's like tanks. And they come through, and they set, ravage the, the field, which is the bodies of these poor kids. I was like, dude, this, like, you know, parents don't want to be reading this. So I edited it, it and gave it back to him, and it's, he called me directly and chewed my ass out. <laughs> so that's the time that Tom Clancy yelled at some no-name young editor. Um, and then he came to the book launch and he was like smoking out the back door at the book launch. I was like, how much of a jerk can you possibly be? These kids who are beating cancer that had no you know, volition of their own that they didn't invite into their own bodies and you're sneaking smokes out the back door, you ass. We have time for two more questions. Two more questions. To veer into poetry for just a minute. Um, is are there agents that specialize in poetry? Or is that, is that, are we really, you, you, I heard you before about getting um, uh, credentials from competitions, I guess. Is that really, is that the 90% of the way there? Yeah. yeah. You don't need an agent for poetry. I don't even think Billy Collins has an agent no. or, you know, or Natasha Twainway probably doesn't no. have an agent. The big ones um, do, but most people don't. Most people don't. Yeah. But it said, I just want to, you know, this is a book of poetry. This is this yeah. is a book of poetry. What I like about poetry is something that's thematic and something that can be held together. This is a, a book, a collection of poems that are all written as the poet walked mindfully and carefully and slowly walked through the city. And the city happened to be Baltimore, so that was sort of tied into our mission. But it really is about slowing down and exploring your urban place, right? And then this book is um, a collection of um, poems that were inspired by the Clash's first uh, album, London Calling album, which is, so it's a bit of a gimmick that me and a friend came up with. So we do uh, anthologies that are riffs on famous albums. But uh, it, so 
I tried, in another book of poetry that City Lids published was all written uh, post-Katrina, so it was all about New Orleans and the recovery and how the, the, the poverty, the poor people in New Orleans really got screwed. Uh, 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 so, that, so it had thematic cohesiveness, which I could then put a marketing hook into, frankly, yeah. uh, in addition to, I think, being a different kind of read of just reading a desperate collection of different kind of poetry, poems throughout the course of a, of a, of a poet's work. Right, okay. And are there, you've mentioned festivals and conventions, that kind of, are there such things for poetry or is it really? Yeah, I mean, there's the Dodge Poetry Festival, that's the big one. But by and large, the way to go through to poetry is write your book, write your poems, submit them along the way, and when you have a book, just start submitting it to competitions. That's usually how the best way. Hi, um, I came here, I, I don't know how other writers write, but I lived with these books for so long, and everyone says, hey, you should go publish in it, but every time I go sit in one of these things, I say, am I gonna pimp my love? You know what I mean? So do you writers feel like you're, that I'm one of the few ones that feel like the writing is more cathartic for me than, and I don't wanna go out and sort of pamper out to different people, you know what I mean? When it's so personal. Yeah, I mean, that's the art thing I mentioned. If you're happy, then just do that. If, if it's not your dream to publish, then don't, don't publish. If you want to, you could hire an editor to work with you, make the compromises you feel like you're willing to make, and then self-publish it yourself. And then just share it with pe your friends and people that know you and would appreciate the work. I just wanted to make a quick plug for a library resource. <laughs> um, I work over at the Central Branch uh, with these two right here. Um, we, some of our wonderful panelists have all mentioned poets and writers. It's a great resource um, to keep up to date with things. and um, It is available through the library for free, but it is also available from your home um, through a great platform called RB Digital, which you just need your library card. The library subscribes to it, so you'll be able to access it from um, a computer, from uh, a tablet, whatever you like. So not only do you not have to spend the money, but you don't even have to come into the library to do it. Um, if anyone is interested, I would be happy to show you um, how to access it after this. Um, and if you don't have a library card yet, um, just bring your ID right upstairs and you can sign up for one today. Thanks. Thank you, Becca. And thank you, Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.